I want to thank Research FDI for sponsoring today's podcast. They're a globally renowned lead generation firm that helps economic development organizations create real prospects. They've helped over 500 economic development organizations. Let me tell you exactly what they do. They facilitate one-on-one meetings for economic developers with corporate executives who will have projects soon. They can facilitate these meetings to where you travel to the corporate executive's office and meet them there, or you meet them at a trade show, or even have a conference call with them so you don't have to pay for travel. They recently launched a service called FDI 365, which provides you a lead a day of fast-growing companies that will be expanding soon. Their research has helped over $5 billion worth of projects get cited since inception. I encourage you to go to www.researchfdi.com to learn more about Research FDI. As far as I'm concerned, they are absolutely the best lead generation firm in the business for economic developers. Call them at 514-488-3168 and see how Research FDI can help you you create real prospects. Hello, this is Chad Chancellor with Next Move Group. Before we begin today's podcast, if you've been enjoying our podcast series, please go over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. That'll sure help us out. We'd appreciate it a whole lot. Welcome to this week's episode of the Next Move Group. We are Jobs Podcast. This is Chad Chancellor, co-founder of Next Move Group. And today we've got a man with us who I have a great deal of respect for. As I think about people that I just think are deal closers across the country, this is one of the first people comes to my mind. He's Rick Farmer from Newberry County, South Carolina. Rick, welcome to our show. Well, thanks, Chad. I'm delighted to be here. Got a lot of respect for you, too, having worked with you in the past. And uh, just honored to be your guest today. Awesome. Well, we're so proud to have you, and we're going to get into your deal closing in a minute, but why don't you first tell these folks where Newberry County, South Carolina is, so they can get in their minds where we're talking about. Sure. We're located between Greenville and Columbia, the state of South Carolina, two of the largest cities. Greenville Metro is a million people. Columbia Metro is a million people. We're about 30 minutes from Columbia on the I-26 corridor, which is huge to us because that interstate quite often is the difference between you being a successful rural community and you not being a successful rural community. And one of the beauties is Newberry can actually draw labor from both of those markets. So we can fight above our weight class some of these projects. And we've actually demonstrated that just recently. You know, South Carolina is basically, Columbia is the biting line. It's more agricultural in the eastern half of the state, more industrial in the western half of the state. Greenville is, of course, the big manufacturing hub in the state of South Carolina. And Columbia is more institutional. University of South Carolina is the state capital and so forth. But we've had a lot of success at creating sort of a manufacturing existence for ourselves. We're a small community. The county's about 40,000 in size, and the city of Newberry is about 10,000. We're a slow growth community, but things are heating up. And so we're looking forward to manageable growth in the future. Nobody wants this absolute runaway growth we see in so many suburban markets, like around Charlotte, for instance. Those communities are just growing. Heck, in Lexington, which is near Columbia, they can't build roads and bridges and schools fast enough. So we don't have those problems, but we are growing and we're excited about our futures no doubt about it well i know y'all really got a winning track record so just talk about one or two of y'all's most recent uh, maybe most well-known wins sure sure well most well-known is easily the samsung deal 
this is an interesting story. We actually saw a very big closure in 2016. Caterpillar was one of our larger employers, one of our bigger taxpayers, had about 325 jobs out at a local facility. Of course, this is a huge global brand that everybody can instantly identify. They made these large industrial generators out there, and they were some of the best jobs in the community. Well, in April of 2016, they announced closure. And at the time, that was a gut punch for the community and absolutely hurt. But it also opened up doors for us. And one of the things that closure led to was to somebody even bigger coming in. So in 2017, Samsung came knocking at our doors and we had this, well, the soon to be empty box from Caterpillar that really appealed to them. And so, you know, it's actually cool to report that that building was never empty a single day. The day that Caterpillar walked out was the day that Samsung walked in and took over. It was on paper a $380 million, 950 job deal, which of course is absolutely huge. They've now hired 1,200 people and they've spent over $500 million on that project. So that's the most well-known success we've had in recent years. And the thing I like about it, again, it shows what I said earlier about us being able to fight above our weight class. And we've done that, but labor's tight everywhere. But actually one of my favorite projects is one we won back in 2016 as a small German run BMW supplier. And this guy started, interesting story here, he started looking, of course, in BMW Shadow near Spartanburg, South Carolina. And that's where everybody who's in the BMW business starts looking. And during his visits here to find a site, the Volvo announcement happened down near Charleston. And he was like, hmm, I do business with both companies. Maybe it makes sense to look in between. And so that opened up the I-26 corridor to the competition. And it was a small project, $13 million, 65 jobs, but they paid really high wages. And so that's what we really wanted. You know, this community's always wanted a BMW supplier. So that was actually one of my favorite wins. And that's one where he could have gone almost anywhere. And at the end of the day, is the quality of life of this community that really brought him home to Newberry. Yeah, well, you know, one of the things I really respect about you, and it reminds me of myself, yes, economic developers have to prepare. That's part of all of our jobs, especially on the workforce side and on the infrastructure sure. and buildings and sites. But Seems like I go to a lot of conferences and all everybody talks about is prepared. People rarely talk about doing the deal, chasing the deal, closing the deal. And to I, me, you can prepare, 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 but if you don't ever get in the game, what good have you done? And that's the way I've always approached it. And I've had success that way. And I feel like you approach it that way as well. So talk about, you know, what it is you enjoy about putting the deals together and what it takes, maybe give a little training to our list. How do you get a deal from third base to home plate? A lot of people don't have that ability. And I think you do. Right. Well, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Being creative, first of all, you know, one thing I don't spend a lot of time doing is saying, oh, well, we can't do that because I believe there's always a way to do that. Maybe you're not thinking enough outside of the box, you know, so being creative is one big thing. Now, if you're already at third base, you know, your competition is roughly equal to you. You just got to find ways 
to stand out a little bit. And one of the things we can do there is we use the absolute awesome quality of life in this community, the great pro-business leadership. And sometimes that's a difference because maybe the other communities just haven't been quite so welcoming. Well, we're going to be welcoming. We're going to work hard. We're going to be aggressive to win that. And I think that's where a lot of communities falter is they're just not aggressive enough. Now, I've never made what I consider to be a bad deal. I think we can justify everything we've ever done on paper. And the science is today that you can analyze this stuff and you can put together, you know, timetables and revenue statements and so forth. And I can show you, yes, it sounds like we're being overly aggressive to win this project, but we're going to get paid back for this in seven years or whatever it is. So we take an analytical approach to it a lot. And we just work really, really hard to bring those projects home that we really want. Now, one of the benefits of having some success is we can be a little bit choosier now. And, you know, quite honestly, I want to win them all. But my county council is like, you know, we're all about the wages. We want to increase incomes in this community. So we may not be as aggressive with somebody who comes in and pays below the community average. I mean, we don't chase anybody like that away, but we're not going to strongly incentivize somebody coming in and paying, you know, $14 an hour jobs. So we're creative. We're hardworking. We take a we can do this kind of approach to everything. That's how we won the Samsung deal. I mean, there were some things they threw at us in the early stages of that game that, you know, I was just thinking in my mind, how do we do this? What can we possibly do? But with enough people at the table, enough allies and partners, you know, you can make amazing things happen. Right. Well, I know you've been in Newberry County a while now, so take us back how you first stumbled into the whole world of economic development. Oh, sure. Well, that happened about 23 years ago. My first career was journalism. I went to the University of South Carolina and I studied journalism and mass communication. Back then, I had this idea that I was going to get a cushy job in the public relations industry, you know, nine to five and making good money. Those jobs are hard to come by, you know, especially when I got out of college in the early 90s. But then I was a reporter. I bounced around the state. My first full-time gig as a reporter was at the Clinton Chronicle in Clinton, South Carolina. It's just 25 miles north of here. And that 10 years I spent as a reporter was just truly foundational. It was like a master's program. I learned so many different things, you know, had so many experiences that, you know, average people just never really got a chance. But that was where economic development, the field was introduced to me. I remember as a reporter in Greenwood County, South Carolina, standing there, and the local developer was trying to convince me that the spec in spec building does not mean speculative. It means specification. And of course, the whole idea that speculation is bad and we don't do that in local government. And I bought it, sadly. I bought it and went with it. But I learned later that that wasn't the case. And so my reporter travels eventually took me to Sumter, which is a great community and a great newspaper. But while I was there, I built a relationship with the local economic developer. His man I admire greatly. He was a former Air Force colonel. He has a big Air Force base in Sumter. So we have a lot of those retired Air Force personnel who really make the community better. 
And uh, he was really uh, foundational in my early career. He wanted me as a research analyst, which is a lot like being a newspaper reporter. You gather data, you put it together in a presentation format that people can understand and so forth. You know, one of the differences between being a newspaper reporter and an economic developer is that newspaper reporter, he's standing on the sidelines and he's reporting what everybody else is doing, but he's not an active participant in it. As an economic developer, I'm in the game and I'm part of the solution. And that's something that always appealed to me. So when I took my first job in economic development 23 years ago, I knew that this was a career for me because I really wanted to be a part of that solution. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. I want to thank LocationOne.com. Some of you know it as Lois for sponsoring today's podcast. In my opinion, Lois is the best buildings and sites database on the market. One of the reasons I think that is it gives you nationwide exposure. So I used to be the economic developer in Paducah, Kentucky, and I made a terrible mistake. I only put my buildings and sites on the Kentucky Economic Development Buildings and Sites database. Well, Paducah bordered Illinois and was within 30 or so miles of Missouri, Indiana, and Tennessee. So what sense did it make for me to not put my bills and sites on a nationwide database? Well, Lois does that for you. Looking back, I should have put my bills and sites on Lois. It's also easy to use for an economic developer. It's just like using Facebook. It walks you through how to insert your pictures and your information and so forth. And the thing I like most, it works well on my iPad. If I'm in an industrial building, I want to be able to look at that thing on my iPad. Lois does that for me. Other buildings and sites databases struggle with that. So if you got 10 or 15 minutes to spare, go over to location1.com book yourself a demo and see if this can help your community have more success you know that's interesting my guest two weeks ago had the same background he got his <laughs> start in journalism maybe you're right because you know a good economic developer i tell people you got to be uh, an inch deep and a mile wide you got to know a little bit about everything in your town from the water to the sewer. and i guess as a good reporter that's what you learn yeah, and I still rely on that broad foundation of knowledge. You know, in my history, I've been a truck driver, a custom glass installer. I did retail management, you know, and then I went to college and started focusing on journalism. I love the idea of being paid to write for a living. But guess what? I still get paid to write for a living because writing, the promotional aspects, the nonstop letters I have to produce. So I still get paid to write, and that's always appealed to me. But yeah, it was a great foundational education, and I wouldn't change it for the world. It just happened to work out for me in a good way. Well, given the success you've had, I mean, what do you still love about your job to this day? On those cold, rainy days when you really don't want to go to work, what gets you motivated and going, (laughs) and let's do it again? Well, because there's always a carrot on the end of that stick. There's always a project to chase, and that's a tremendously exciting part. But, you know, I love, again, just being a part of the solution. I love being a representative of this community when I go out to existing industries. And I've built some great relationships and some great friendships with local plant managers and plant owners and so forth. So they keep me going. You know, I'm always on this quest to solve a problem that somebody in my community has. Now, I'm a realist. A lot of times your problems are just due to the free market. And I have no particular magic to spend for you there. But a lot of times we can solve those problems. I love working with the schools. I love doing anything that makes this community better. And at the end of my tenure here, if I can look back and say, you know, that community is just a little bit better because 
of what we help them to do, you know, then, then I will be an absolute happy man. So how long have you been in Newbury County and what were your positions, you know, just before you got there? Well, next month in May, it'll be my six-year anniversary here. Absolutely love it. Time has absolutely flown by. It's a busy office. We've got a lot of irons in the fire, and we're constantly working on new stuff. So I've been here six years, and quite honestly, you know, I hope to retire here. We'll see what life has in store for me, but I'm not the kind of guy who wants to bounce around the country. I love the Palmetto State, and this is an absolute pinnacle community here for me. It is all of the things that I want as a father and as a resident and as a taxpayer. So I'm here in Newberry to stay, hopefully. And where were you just before Newberry? I was in Sumter. I went there as a newspaper reporter, as I mentioned earlier. I worked for the Sumter Development Board, another great community. Sumter was very, very kind to me. I was there for 17 years. When I left, they threw me this big party, which I didn't expect. But that was really great because it really confirmed that the time I had spent there meant something. And I wasn't just job hopping, you know, not just a mercenary bouncing from community to community. It was great to learn the business there, too. You know, some economic developers have this myopic approach that economic development is about dirt and concrete and steel. It's about so, so much more. It really is. It's about, you know, schools and parks and workers and taking advantage of opportunities. I don't ascribe to that myopic deal. It's about everything. So I like to ask folks, take us back when you were a little boy running around, 10, 11 years old. What did you want to be when you grew up? And let's see how similar that is to what you ended up being. I wanted to be a writer, actually. I'd always been good at the creative side of thinking. I'd always been a good writer. I enjoyed as a kid writing short stories and fiction and even poetry, believe it or not. And I knew I was actually pretty good at that. I had teachers tell me, you're really good at this stuff. So I thought it would be really cool to get paid to write someday. And that's eventually what ended up happening. I never went through this phase where I wanted to be a firefighter or a police officer or anything. Nothing's wrong with that kind of stuff. I just thought that there was something out there, you know, different for me. I remember first time I started reading newspapers, I was probably about 11 years old. We had just moved to a new house. We lived on the military base and we moved off of the military base into the suburbs. And I found this rolled up little newspaper in my driveway. And I was like, well, this must be a mistake. You know, my parents don't subscribe to the newspaper. And I opened it up and it was this little community weekly newspaper called the Richland Northeast Weekly. And so I'm like, well, this is totally cool. They give us this newspaper free every week. And so I would read that thing from cover to cover every week even down to the want ads and the legals and all of that stuff. And that really introduced me to journalism. I became a news junkie. I really, really wanted to know what was going on in the world and staying in touch with that. So in my early days, it was all about being a writer. And to this day, I'm still a writer. We're going to take a quick break for a message for our listeners. Be right back right after this. Most likely you have noticed the tremendous growth we've had in our executive search business. So each week on our podcast show, we're going to spotlight one of the executive searches that we're doing. This week, we're going to spotlight the Victoria County, Texas, president of economic development search we're doing. This is a tremendous job. 
Victoria is located basically halfway between San Antonio and Houston. It's pretty much the largest community between the two once you get outside of both of those suburb areas. County population of 92,000 people and growing, and this thing's going to pay up to $190,000. I think this is one of the best jobs in Texas, especially when you get outside of the metro area. It is a stable organization. They've had one CEO in the last 15 years. Victoria County has a winning tradition. They have huge name brand industries there like Caterpillar and Dow and many others. If you're interested, go to thenextmovegroup.com backslash Victoria to check it out. You need to apply before May 7th. If you got questions, feel free to call us or book a Zoom with us. We'd love to tell you about it. All right, so then once you got in the industry, did you have any one big influence on your career, a mentor, or oh, a group yeah. of folks, or, you know, if you think back? I had more mentors than you have time to hear about, but I'll give you a couple early. One is my former boss, the guy who hired me in economic development, Colonel Steve Rust. He left Sumter in 04 and went to Fayetteville, Arkansas, where he was the economic developer there. He's now retired, but still to this day, we're friends. He pitched economic development to me. Again, back to what I was saying about some have this myopic approach to economic development. He was more of the look, this is about a lot more than concrete and steel and factories and workers and so forth. This is about community. And I really latched onto that. He was a major influence. He really stressed things like, you know, integrity and being honest and good faith negotiating. Because as he would say, you know, the world is full of snakes. You know, we're not going to be those snakes. We're going to be the good guys, you know, fighting the good fight. And so Colonel Rust, he's more like a father figure to me, and he always has been. He was a huge early influence on me, and not just in economic development, but in life in general. He taught me a lot about life, and I've really appreciated our relationship over the years. Another guy who influenced me was another former Air Force colonel. His name was Phil Ballinger. And Phil led the Sumter Chamber throughout the 80s and 90s. And there was this huge industrial boom during those couple of decades. And Phil taught me something that, you know, sticks with me to this day. And it's about the interconnectedness with everything. He would say that everything is connected. And he's absolutely right. In other words, he was saying, look, it's about the schools and it's about the parks and it's about the crime. Everything is connected. And in order to improve a community and win deals, you have to recognize this and figure out ways that everything benefits from what you're doing. What's the best piece of advice you ever got in the industry? Well, you remember the movie Field of Dreams. And of course, the big thing in that was if you build it, they will come. I mean, it's an oversimplification by a long shot, but the gist of that is absolutely true. If you do the appropriate things in your community, you will improve your community. You will grow your community. Now, it's different. All communities are different. You know, if you're an hour away from the closest interstate, you know, it's going to be tougher. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But I truly believe that If you prepare, if you do the right things, you're going to be a player. Now, whether you're a good player or a mediocre player, that's really up to the rest. But if you start with a great product, you know, it's easy. And as we wind down one of my last questions, do you have any daily habits that make you successful? I mean, stuff you do every day. One of our guests said every night he pours a scotch about 9 p.m. and got his (laughs) iPad and just looks at all his competition, what they're doing. Uh, Any little intricacies like that you do? 
Yes. As a matter of fact, my number one job in all seriousness, my number one job in this world is not an economic developer. It's being a dad to my kids. That's my number one job. And everything has to support that. You know, one of the reasons, you know, we came up here was there's some great public schools and I had these young kids that we need to educate and I want to set them off in the right way. So just being a dad, you know, actually is a good daily habit that keeps me focused and it keeps me grounded. And it lets me know that there are a lot of things in this life that are bigger than me and my concerns and my wants and so forth. That's a big part of it. I would say, you know, daily prayer is important too. It's another thing that keeps me connected and grounded. Again, you know, I'm a tiny speck in this universe, as are we all. And that's something that, you know, I'm thankful for and remindful of every single day. So I think that that prayer works. And I think just going through life as a positive, reachable, touchable kind of person, genuine person also helps as well. The interactions with the community and the county council, those are tremendously important. So I think just being a positive person is hugely important. You know, one of my former bosses used to describe what was the Eeyore syndrome. And Eeyore, of course, is from Winnie the Pooh. And Eeyore was a bad luck type character. Nothing good ever happened to him. And he was like, well, you know, if you go through life being an Eeyore, you're never going to win because you have to have that positive outlook. So just be a positive person it helps tremendously. All right, Rick, as we conclude, give these folks y'all's website in case they want to go learn sure. a little bit more about Newberry. Absolutely. We're located at www.newberrycountysc.org. It's a great community in South Carolina. We're rapidly growing. We're always interested in newcomers. We are very accepting of outside influence. And I got some great stories that we don't have time for today about people who've chosen this community specifically when they could have gone anywhere else. So we're here at Newberry County Economic Development. We're working hard every day trying to make this community a little bit better. We've been successful, but I truly believe that the best is yet to come. All right. Thank you, sir. Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we wrap it up? Thank you for the opportunity. I never miss an opportunity to talk about my community. It's part of the job, but it's something I truly believe into. And just really, really glad that you reached out to me and we could have this discussion today. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Chad.